Hello, and welcome to Heart Failure Beat, a podcast brought to you by the Heart Failure Society of America, created especially for those of you treating heart failure in institutions around the world. I'm Dr. Kevin Shaw, a heart failure transplant cardiologist from California, based out of the University of Utah, your host for this season, and I'm excited to bring you today's episode. Today, we're going to talk with some of the new leadership of the Journal of Cardiac Failure, the official journal of the Heart Failure Society of America. Our guests are Dr. Rob Mentz and Dr. Anulala. Brief introductions include Dr. Rob Mentz, who's our Chief of Heart Failure Section at Duke University and DCRI in Durham, North Carolina. He's the current and new Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cardiac Failure, clinical trialist, and he's involved with a number of ongoing trials in in patients with heart failure. And Dr. Anulala, who's an Assistant Professor and Program Director for Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant Fellowship at Mount Sinai in New York City. She's now the new current deputy editor of the Journal of Cardiac Failure. She's also the director of heart failure research. And as I mentioned, taking over leadership with Dr. Mentz in terms of the Journal of Cardiac Failure. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Great. Thanks so much, Kevin. Really a pleasure to be here. Thank you both for joining. I want to take a little step backwards and understand what was your experience leading up to taking over in terms of the Journal of Cardiac Failure. So maybe, Rob, we can start with you just in terms of editorial background and what was the process like from before to actually serving this new role with the journal? Sure. Thanks so much, Kevin. So I guess I would probably start with some of the mentorship and training I received. So when I first came uh, to Duke as a fellow, I was so fortunate to just have incredible mentorship from Chris O'Connor Adrian Hernandez, Mike Felker, Mona Fusat, a bunch of individuals that were so senior, so so educated and informed about the whole journal process. Um, and it was really during my fellowship that I began to actually work with them on reviews. So so this is, and we'll speak to this, I think, as we get into some of what, what's been really exciting at the journal. But this idea of there's no textbook for, for the journal process, for the reviewer experience. And really, Chris O'Connor and, and Mona Fusat took me under their wing and just They would say, hey, we've got this great review from this high-impact journal. Why don't you do it in parallel to us, and then we'll talk about your review. So so that got me really interested in the whole process on the reviewer side. And I think just in academia, the idea of being able to convey our messages through manuscripts, but then as you and others have been leaders in this space around social media, too. So as we began to think, what could we do at the Journal of Cardiac Failure? to make it even bigger and better than it has this, this rich history. Um, it was really kind of this mentorship piece that, that grew into what are some of our experiences and things that we could bring to the journal. And I was so fortunate that prior to coming to JCF, to have learned a ton from Nancy and the team at Cirque Heart Failure, actually. As an associate editor there, she's just done a phenomenal job uh, with that entire group as, as their editor-in-chief. So it was really she and Jim Fang that taught me a ton and then helped me transition to this role as we put together a great team with with folks like Anu and others. Anu, how about you? What was what was your experience like beforehand and how has it been transitioning so far? Yeah, thanks so much, Kevin. It's exciting to be here. I think really my my sort of love, if you will, um, with the review process uh, began in my Advanced Heart Failure Fellowship. Um, Lynn Stevenson, similar to Chris O'Connor and and Mona, took me under her wing. um, And really participating in the review process was an integral part of our 
our training experience. So her and Neil Lechtawala, who were the program directors and uh, associate program directors, um, really made sure that we felt comfortable looking at a paper and kind of critically assessing it for its incremental value. Um, Lynn used to have this this thing that sticks with me and, and I think will stick with me for the rest of my life. And that and it's something that I share with mentees of my own, which is what is the so what? And I, for those of you who know Lynn, will sort of be able to picture her kind of sitting there being like, well, so what? You know, and I thought that was such a brilliant way of looking at, um, quite frankly, almost anything. But you always want to look at um, a paper that's coming your way to assess for its novelty right? And, and its potential impact. And that both of those kind of get at the so what factor. And I really, I owe it to her and Neil and, and, and my, my training during advanced fellowship, as well as with uh, Judy Hockman at my time, during my time at NYU in terms of trying to, to get better at this review process. I, I can't say, I don't think the review process is ever something that you say, okay, I'm done with this. I've reached the top, you know, now I know what I'm doing. I think you constantly learn and you constantly try to get better. Um, and it's it's a really humbling and rewarding process. Um, so that that's the extent to which, I mean, I review for, for other journals much like you do and, and others do. And I was super excited and honored when um, Rob approached me uh, to take on this role because it's just been quite frankly, a lot of fun moving things forward, trying to do things differently and really just being excited about giving people a voice, um, giving people a platform to put forth really good science and perspectives. Yeah, it's, it sounds like you guys have put together a phenomenal new team. And I've noticed a lot of, through social media and just through flipping through the journal, it seems like there's a lot of new initiatives, particularly focusing on, particularly focusing on social media as a way to disseminate information, but also really emphasizing diversity, equity, inclusion across all domains. And I'd like to learn sort of what was the impetus and what were the discussions like that that made you feel, Rob, that made you feel these are going to be high priorities as I'm leading this journal? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So around the, the DEI pieces, it's really been from the very onset of discussions around the journal that, it, that this is our core value. This needs to be front and center. And it needs to start with the team. And after speaking to Anu, she and I you know, began these weekly calls where at times daily calls uh, to, to really talk through, you know, how do we put together a team that represents the best of what heart failure, clinical care and research is? And I think it really pulls in a lot of the messages from HFSA, right? So it's, we go to the meeting, you see the cardiologists, the trainees, you see the nurse practitioners, the other APPs, you see the pharmacists, you know, you really see these incredible teams come together. And that's exactly what we wanted at the journal. And we wanted it to be each of the different stakeholders, but we wanted it to represent the diversity that we all see in, in clinical care and research. And that, what we learned was actually, not only is that so important, but it's fun and invigorating. And it's, I mean, it's really been refreshing as we've started to put together um, the team, pulling in important trainees and, other, and others that really have taught us a ton about this. And I think that's one of the key lessons we've learned is that we're going to make mistakes. We're committed to making this the best heart failure journal. We want to represent and be really a trumpet for everything that HFSA brings to the community. And at the center of that, I think, is really having a diverse team that leads, 
that holds each other accountable and that really works to change heart failure care for the better. And, you know, I have to, to call upon Anu to make some of her uh, comments and thoughts on this too, because she just brings uh, such a, a beacon of light in this space. And I've, I've continued to learn a ton from her and, and she's thought so much about this. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> we just compliment each other all the time, Kevin, just in case you, that's the secret to, you know, that's the secret sauce here at, at the editorial board. I, I'll just go back to your question before I take this on. One of the things that I, uh, it kind of segues into the diversity inclusion pieces. Rob and I met as Heart Failure Fellows in 2013 um, in Seattle at HFSA. And we met um, as a part of the Greater Heart Failure Network funded by NHLBI that then really put forth, quite frankly, monies to see that trainees had ad adequate exposure to clinical trials to, to seeing how the network worked, to see how these luminaries came together to develop new clinical trials, to analyze data, to ask relevant questions. And so what was formed as a result was something called HFAM, which was the Heart Failure Apprentice Network. So Rob, myself, Tariq Ahmad, uh, many others from different institutions across the country got to come together and really think about what are the questions that we wanted to answer from those parent heart failure network trials. And I think that exposure and the friendships and the respect that developed really over time is really amazing because it's it's borne out into some of the, the editorial team that you see now. And I think in that process, one of the things that we witnessed in the heart failure network was diversity, was an emphasis on uh, DEI in general. And I think we've carried that forth. And, and like Rob said, at the outset, we just shared this passion and desire to make that front and center at the journal. Um, I think Rob's done an incredible job of, you know, highlighting it and, and making it known that that is our priority and being vulnerable and humble and learning along the way. Yeah, I, I think if you're not making some mistakes, you're not really trying new things, right? And you're not pushing yourself as a professional and as a, as a human being. And like I said earlier, I think what I've seen so far is you guys are trying a lot of new things and you're trying a lot of new ways to get the message out from the journal perspective. One thing I wanted to touch on is peer review in general. And I say that with a caution that I'm pretty sure I owe you a revision on something and I promise I'll get it in soon. <laughs> but peer review, from what you've seen so far from an editorial perspective, what are your thoughts? We, we could start with Anu. What are your thoughts on what peer review currently in 2021 is doing well? And what are the things that you would like to see done better, either with your own journal or with other journals that I'm sure you participate with? Yeah, that's a loaded question, right? <laughs> I'll start by saying I don't want to be presumptuous in, in thinking that it's easy to change things. We know that uh, this process is vitally important in terms of disseminating good quality science, but carries with it its challenges. One of the things that we're hoping to do is really have honest and open dialogue amongst our editorial team, which is a diverse team, which is how we learn from each other. As Rob says, diversity and inclusion starts at home, and, and that's what we're, you know, we've hoped and, and tried to do. And I think it's about kind of 
asking that question openly. And that's something that we just did recently, in fact, last week, which is how do we think the peer review process could be better? We're all involved in it, even outside of the journal and in other journals, we submit papers. I think one of the interesting things that came up is this notion of blinded reviews, right? So we have single blinded reviews, but should it be blinded both ways? And this has come up a lot. There's been some data to show that women perhaps are more scrutinized and, and there might be harsher reviews for women when they see that they're a first or a senior author. And I think, I think it's a really interesting and worthy endeavor to pursue. I, I also think that what we're trying to do and Rob has been so good about just being open to hearing what everybody has to say, is kind of think about studying it systematically. So, okay, fine, if we're going to try and do blinded reviews both ways, what does that look like? How does that change things? And I think there's a lot to be learned. I don't, I think we have to be careful before we speculate and just presume that things would be better if they were different from how they are now. I think we need to be data-driven and understand how it translates into different results. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, you summarized it so nicely. Um, and one of the things as I've reflected on this and really thought about the vision of the journal is right now we're kind of talking about this reviewer experience, but it's really connected to everyone's experience, right? And I, I think that's one of our foundational pillars is we want to improve the author experience, the reviewer experience, the reader experience. And so in order to really improve the reviewer experience, it, it also each of those pieces are, are really connected. So we've done you know, simple, tangible things, and I say simple with a, a little bit of jest, but saying, all right, reviewers, can we actually reach out in a more personal way to say, hey, you know, Kevin, you are an expert in this space. I would, would you please consider reviewing this? I know you probably received three more review requests this week. Can you please do this? So everything from trying to personalize the message to actually making sure also that, as Anu's noting, we have a diverse reviewer pool to think of and really being data-driven about this. Uh, and that's something we're actively working on now of actually understanding, all right, wh what are, are the breakdown of, as we look at our reviewer and our editorial board? So a, rever you know, a diverse group reaching out with this personal touch and actually asking a little bit more, asking for that review within seven days. And that, that's a huge lift to ask. You know, you're on service. You're like, how the heck am I going to get this done? But the reason being, what we've seen is if you don't do it in the first couple of days, by the time 10, 14 days come along, you're, you're, it's just going to get even more challenging. So trying to shorten that timeline, because that directly feeds into the author experience. When they get that first uh, response back about you know, what, what is the disposition of this paper going to be, that improves the, their experience. And by improving their experience, we think that that'll really help pull in exceptional research to the journal, and that'll ultimately lead to the author improvement. So it, it's kind of all related. Um, and I, I think maybe just to echo kind of one last thing that, that Anu really nicely touched upon, was trying to be data-driven about this and consider this blinded review. Um, and I, I know this is this is already done at some other journals, but we'd like to actually explore whether we can empirically evaluate this. You know, for one month, do we do it? that everybody's blinded the next month, the, the reviewers are um, not blinded and actually understand whether that can lead to improvements along the lines of DEI as well as overall quality. So, so thanks for the opportunity to talk about the, the overall experience. And I sort of answered your question on the reviewer experience, but, but pulled in some of these other pieces as well. I, th I think if you, your team was able to formally and systematically study this issue of double blinding, 
it would be it would have a significant impact because as you mentioned everyone here has reviewed papers and without a doubt everyone starts on the first page and looks who wrote it and depending on your personal interactions professional interactions how you know the institution or the people it plants a seed in your head right it plants a seed right off the bat oh i know this person they do great science in this or i don't know this person and maybe you just continue to review in an unblinded or unbiased fashion. And it would be remarkable to see if the journal is able to show the difference in, in sort of the content and what, what is accepted if it's truly double blind and you don't know who wrote it, you don't know what institution, you don't know what country they're from, and you just review the science or the opinions for what they are. So I, I think a lot of the reviewers would love to, or the readers would love to see what comes from that. What, what are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I, I, thank you. I think you're right. You know, our goal is not only to have the highest quality heart failure, failure journal, but really to try to change this experience more broadly across the research community. And I did want to highlight one other piece that's kind of links in these last two questions of yours around the reviewer experience. And what we've learned from our associate editor team is actually also the importance of pulling in these DEI components. And in terms of our instructions, not only to authors, but to the reviewers, that when we're reviewing the manuscripts themselves, we want to be cognizant and sensitive to the language that's being used around underrepresented groups historically, appreciating biases and how that's coming out in the journal. And our AE team and our broader section editor team has brought just tremendous uh, experience and perspective to this about how can we improve the guidance to authors as well as to the reviewers as they're reviewing these papers to be to, really focused on these issues. And to circle it back to Anu's earlier comment, we're learning a ton. We don't pretend to know all the answers. We're gonna make some missteps here, but I think by hopefully working together, being responsive to the broader community and holding each other accountable that we can really make some advances on this, whether it's the blinded reviews or some of these other key components related to DEI more broadly. Anu, any other thoughts on that issue? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, we could talk about this forever <laughs> but i think what the other thing i would just add to that which you know is so nicely summarized is is also putting an emphasis on having diverse author blocks that is so critical right i mean if you're getting paper after paper of you know just all white men for example i think having diverse author blocks are just going to be so incredibly important for the quality of the science, for the review process, for the authorship experience. And then we really want to focus on mentoring our trainees and our fellows who are on the editorial team as well. We've got phenomenal fellows who are a part of our editorial team. Vanessa at Duke, Ashish at Sinai, and Quentin at Northwestern. And I can't emphasize enough how much Rob and I have already learned from them. It's almost sort of you have to really stay humble because they're just way ahead of the game already. That's no, I, it's sounds like an environment where everyone's learning from everyone. And I want to bring up, or at least transition to that, you know, the journal just published an important document, obviously if anyone who takes care of heart failure patients or anyone that has heart failure, this new universal definition of heart failure, obviously a big, a big publication and a big impactful contribution to what we all do and, the patients we take care of on a day-to-day -day basis from a journal perspective. And Anu, maybe we can start with you. 
what was what was the process like in terms of receiving this document? What were the discussions like from an editorial board standpoint? And what's the feedback been like since it's since it's been published and released? Yeah, thanks so much, Kevin. I think this was a really, really exciting opportunity for us. It almost felt like a blessing. Like, okay, here we are. We're taking over, you know, in terms of a new editorial team. And then, you know, we have this opportunity to review and, and then publish the universal definition, this new universal definition and classification of heart failure. So it was exciting, maybe a little bit intimidating, if I could be honest as well. But, you know, just very gratifying experience for us to go through the review process. We also had Randy Starling on our editorial team, who was a part of uh, the authorship block for the creation, really, of that document, who lent insights into how things worked um, in, in the construct of that document. We were able to speak with Beacom as well. And so I think it really was very interesting for us to uh, see how things have progressed over time, to see how much thought and critical review already went into the preparation of that document before we even saw it, and then the additional review that we made it go through. So it felt really good to see, oftentimes, you know, from an quote-unquote outsider perspective, you wonder how these documents come to, to life, you know? And it was really, I think, eye-opening, at least for me, to see how much goes into the preparation of this document, to the agreement, the review of this kind of document. It's not, and nothing is taken lightly, you know? It, I, I don't think any stone was left unturned. And of course, there are going to be gaps. It, there's, it's not gonna be able to cover everything. And I, what I love about this document is that it highlights those gaps. You know, it, it says, listen, we know, we don't know enough about X, Y, and Z, but this is what we're putting forth. You know, and more work needs to be done in this space. And I think they highlighted gaps in every single section of that document. And that's something I really loved. I think that's how it's going to allow for longevity, because it's something we're going to be able to look back on and say, hey, we didn't know about this. This is why I studied, you know, right heart failure and how it pertains to the new definition, for example. Rob, I know you could speak a little bit more. You worked so closely um, with, with Beacom and others. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. I mean, I think you summarized it really nicely, maybe a, a couple complementary points. So one, the international approach to the document itself. So that is very much aligned with where we want to go uh, as a journal. And if you look at, at who endorsed it in the, the author blocks, it really was a, a representation of you know, North America. You've got European representation. You've got our Japanese colleagues as the official journal of the Japanese Heart Failure Society as well. You know, that is really a foundational piece. So the document itself was very much aligned with our kind of core principles and values. Um, maybe to give a little sneak behind the curtain of what it was actually like at the journal. So I remember uh, was uh, resting up after some nice holiday time with the family. We received the document actually early January from Beacom and colleagues. And that had already undergone extensive review, external review. Um, and it, it went very smoothly. So really over a matter of weeks, we were able to conduct our internal review uh, get the resubmission of just this very succinct, well-written document, and then we're ready to go live, as you saw really from January and then going live in March with coordination with the European Journal of Heart Failure and different publishers. But really, the authors were exceptional. Uh, and maybe this is a good time to also really call out 
some of the other members of the team that have made this possible. I feel remiss that we're you know, 30 minutes into this discussion and haven't recognized Meredith Hurt, who's our um, director of publishing at HFSA and our expert in all things related operationally to the journal. Uh, we have another maybe sneak behind the curtain. We have this great WhatsApp message with the three of us that we've titled, We Got This, JCF. And, you know, we just connect that way. Uh, she, she's exceptional, and it's been so fun for us to work with her and really uh, call upon her expertise. And really, I cannot take credit for any of the shepherding of these processes. She's just a supreme navigator of, of all that. And then Laura Poco as well with the HFSA communications team, their ability to coordinate the release of this has just been phenomenal, along with the, the broader HFSA uh, group. And I would just note the social media piece would be the final comment. No, we've seen it. It doesn't matter how good a document is if nobody's reading it. Uh, and it's been so fun to work with our fellow in training section editors who help develop and carry out the social media approach uh, to really get the message out there. Uh, so that's been a great journey, and we look forward to hopefully continuing to improve the process further as we go forward. With respect to the the new universal definition, it sounds like there may be editorials down the road that sort of address different aspects of it. Any uh, sneak peek into sort of the topics that might come up, either one of you? Sure, do you want to start? Go ahead. Sure. And first of all, I'll just echo, I think Meredith Hurt is like, I call her like our guardian angel. She's just, wow, the queen of efficiency and being pleasant while she does it. So, and it's been such an honor to get to know Laura as well. So um, completely echo those sentiments. In terms of, you know, our vision for how to roll out, if you will, the universal definition, I thought, we thought that it, it wasn't like a one and done we wanted to emphasize how important this document is going to be for all stakeholders, right? And that's, it, it ties in again, as Rob alluded to previously, of what HFSA represents, which is multidisciplinary efforts to improve patient care. And so this new universal definition and classification doesn't just impact physicians. It doesn't just impact how we're going to write our papers. It doesn't just impact clinical trials, it impacts everyone. It has international impact. It has impact for patients. It has implications for uh, nursing and mid-level providers, pharmacy, caregivers, I think. And that's what we wanted to emphasize. And so over the next several months, we're going to highlight the same exact paper, the same exact document, but you know, shine the light on it from a different perspective. So we'll start with the heart failure physician perspective and go on to uh, the nursing perspective, the international perspective, uh, et cetera, et cetera, as I alluded to previously. And I think we're so excited about that because it's just reminding us again and again of what our focus is. Why are we different at Heart Failure Society of America? Why is it that we feel kind of that personal connectedness there? It's because we're moving beyond our typical boundaries and we're talking with, you know, nursing and pharmacy colleagues and clinical trialists, et cetera, et cetera, without those boundaries. And that feels really gratifying. Um, and that's what we're hoping to do in terms of shining light on this document and have it really uh, show its impact uh, across different disciplines. Rob, did I do that justice? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that was perfect. I mean, it, it just like dovetails nicely with, with each of these concepts that we've been really trying to launch at the journal. 
you know, uh, Dr. Code on our uh, associate editor team, she brings this tremendous patient and educator experience too. So she, she really has this, this brilliant ability to, to hold us accountable and help advance us in this space. So that led us to think, all right, we've got to make sure that we include all of the different viewpoints. But it needs to not just be this one time, as Anu noted, but we actually want that space within the journal. So we want, we're going to launch this patient and caregiver uh, center of the journal for where we'll bring in content and share that. Similarly, we want that trainee or that junior investigator experience. We're really calling upon investigators to submit their work to us in that space, and we really want to spotlight them and, and, and profile that. And then I guess kind of the two final things that I would say on this front is actually working to change in that context, the look and feel of the journal itself. So when that comes in the mail or when you open it online, uh, that the appearance of it is you say, wow, this is actually you know, quite appealing uh, strategy and, and way to take in the science that I need. And then finally, I'd also be remiss if I didn't recognize how fantastic the HFSA has been in this collaboration so it's been the, the board of directors and the broader group. They have had unwavering support for the journal. They give input, perspective, but effectively kind of complete autonomy on our side. And their mentorship and guidance has been invaluable. And, and similarly, John Barnes, the, the CEO, we meet with him monthly and, and get insights on HFSA, vision, direction. Uh, so the, the team approach and our ability to kind of pull this all together and learn from the group has just been so much fun. It sounds it sounds like a fun experience for the whole team. Uh, I want to close with just the last question for both of you, and if you have any final thoughts uh, in general for the heart failure community. But specifically, what have you learned about yourself in this process? You obviously both have a lot of leadership roles, but this is a unique leadership role from a journal perspective. What have you learned about yourself as you take on this new role, and what do you hope you can pass on to the people that you're working with? as you continue to collaborate and grow the journal. And Rob, maybe we can start with you. Sure, so I thought that I would enjoy the, the role, but I've actually loved it even more than I ever really could have imagined. And as I've reflected on it, I've now started a journal because I really wanna be able to capture all of these thoughts about these lessons learned. And it comes back to kind of what we began with. It's the mentorship piece and the teamwork. I mean, and now again, I, I just have to compliment Anu again. I mean, she. We've been friends for so long, um, but I, she is a tremendous partner in this. And she and the broader associate editor group, it, it would not be possible without this team and, and, and Meredith again. So I've learned about how much I love putting together and working with a diverse group. You know, I would highlight some of the, the challenges too, right? In talking to Chris O'Connor, one of my mentors, he said, you know, the, the challenge as a, an editor is you don't make any friends, right? So like, Everybody submits their work to us. And eventually, you know, it's, it's not exactly meeting our needs at that time. And people have worked on these papers for months and years. So, so that can be really challenging. Um, so, you know, we get some hurt feelings. You, um, even good friends can, can get upset about that at times. And it's learning how, as a journal, we really need to set the, the journal as our priority. We need to do what's right for the, the broader heart failure community. And, and sometimes it's not going to be accepting some of the science that even if, if it's from our really good friends. So some of those things for people like myself at times that are conflict diverse, I've been learning how to, how to work through that a little bit better, but in fact, I can also bounce ideas off the rest of the team. But I think more broadly, just this message of, I feel like we've been given a tremendous opportunity to share research articles, perspective pieces that really improve patient care. 
And I think keeping the, the patient at the center of this and, and all of us around that has just been a really gratifying, uh, humbling, um, but rewarding experience. And it, it's just, it's something every day that, that has really uh, been refreshing for me. Thanks, Rob. I mean, I again, we'll just continue to compliment each other, Kevin. I hope you're <laughs> okay with that. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm taking notes here. This is, a, this is good to know. Good to know. But honestly, this has been really such a joy, such a blessing thus far. I know it's more of a marathon than a sprint, um, and we're only a couple months in. But, you know, they say the more you love your job, the harder the work. It doesn't feel like work. You know, we've done. Def- I, I we've definitely been more busy for sure since we took on these roles. But I'm so much more uh, almost alive, if it, if it, if you will, when it comes to talking about work. You know, Rob, myself, Meredith, and I, we we speak every gosh, it feels like every day, but you know, designated time every Friday for an hour, and I look forward to that call where we review all things for the journal, where we learn from each other. I think what I enjoy most is how much it teaches me as a person to be magnanimous um, because so many leaders are being so generous and have been so generous to us thus far and continue to be. I mean, people like Clyde Yancey, Scott Solomon, Mark Draisner, Frank Bonner. I mean, I could, the list goes on and Javid Butler. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we just received so much positive feedback and encouragement that it also inspires us to be more giving of our time and energy to mentees and, and to other people in the community, be it, you know, whether it's colleagues or trainees or even patients and, and otherwise. I think it's teaching me, and this is an ongoing process, of how important it is to stay conscious of the people around us, how much we stand to learn from one another, how important it is to listen, how Uh, We are going to have times where we feel like imposters, and I have already felt that way at times, and how that's okay, and how we all feel that way. And uh, I think as long as we stay humble and honest in the process, we'll all be better for it at the end of the day. So I can't thank Rob enough for for giving me this opportunity. I I love it. I really do. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what we're able to do in the future. I think we're all looking forward. Rob, do you have any last words or comments? So I guess I just close with, you know, we have an open door, uh, meaning uh, if you have ideas for the journal, if you have inquiries about potential content or broader suggestions, you know, by Twitter, by email, by, you know, call me. It's an open door. and We want to hear from the, the Heart Fire community. And, and finally, hopefully we will have an in-person meeting at HMSA. We shall see, hopefully Denver in uh, September. It would be wonderful to see everybody there and hopefully we'll together the JCF team and look forward to really thanking the entire Heartfelt community that's authors, readers, reviewers, really everybody involved. So it's been so much fun, and we thank you for all, all of your efforts, too. Awesome. Well, Rob, Anu, thank you both for taking the time out of your busy days to chat today. We all look forward to the science and the opinions and the editorials that come out of the journal. You can follow both Rob and Anu on Twitter. For more information on advances and late-breaking news in the field of heart failure care, Make sure you subscribe to the podcast or visit hfsa.org slash heartfailurebeat to learn all about podcasts created by the HFSA. Stay safe and thanks for listening.